sometimes But don't be afraid to be a source of light Peace, good people. Thank you for tuning in to another Peace. episode of Soul Affirmations yes, with yes. Felicia and Kariga. With Kariga and Felicia. Oh, man. No, I did that wrong because I like talking to Kier and I hope that all this stays in the show. <laughs> Keep it all. Yeah. What is supposed to happen is, Fee, how you feeling today? I'm feeling, I feel good. I feel excited about the conversation today. Uh-huh. How are you feeling? I hope y'all could tell I'm excited. I can Maybe hear the can smile. Hear, yeah, you can hear the smile when my eyebrows are up or when I'm like <laughs> pondering and they go down. Um, and my voice gets raspy this week here. Man. That, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, King. Like I'm telling you, dog. The love that you show oh when you pour into the world comes back to you fivefold. Is, Yo, that's welcome, my impression. Welcome, my guy. In. Welcome, my guy. Right yes. now. Let's get it. Peace, good people. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Soul Affirmations with Felicia and Kariga. Kariga and Felicia. Man. And most importantly, you, the listener on the Black Love Podcast Network. Yes. Today, we have a special guest. You might have recognized his voice, um, but this is a dear brother to me when you think about the spaces i hold and what i articulate um and who are the men that i hold space with who are the men that i can go to or um talk to or be spoken into mm. like who do i allow myself to be spoken into by none other than our guest we have Kier Gaines on the show today. Hey, I know I need that button. I need that button. We have a whole drum set next door. I actually get a whole drum roll for you. Oh, and I'll, set, wow. I'll drop that sound bite to our producer. And that'll be your special intro. I love it. I love it. I am Kier, how you more feeling? than pleased to be here. I'm feeling good, man. Y'all caught me on the upswing of mm. some high vibrational shit I'm on right now, man. I'm having a good day. I'm having a good week. It's been busy and challenging. Uh-huh. Yesterday wasn't a good day, but all of it together is mm. just made the composite made a good week. So I'm mm. man, I'm in great spirits. Come on, what's up, listeners? How y'all doing this stuff? How you mom right now? Oh, I make room for that. Yes. Hey, so you know what? Um, give it to me. Sometimes in the experience of manhood, especially fatherhood, I remember my first baby shower, mm-hmm. and I had a brother who was already a father of two. Now he's a father of three. Uh, when we were leaving the baby shower, he made it his duty to carry as many things to the truck and load them in. Mm. And he hugged me and said, take the help while you can get the help. Man. Right? <laughs> so I'm in an entirely different uh, space of like surrendering. Mm. Having brothers like Kier around reinforce a type of safety for me. Um, wow. I trust his uh, perception and his processing mm-hmm. and the grace he gives mm-hmm. uh, the people around him. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I personally don't like uh, two right brothers, right? Like just brothers who just always got to be right about something. <laughs> but I'm, no, but I'm saying a lot of men turn into that mm-hmm. because they've just always been with their own thoughts, uh-huh. right? And they answer their own questions. So they must be right. Mm. But I like the love he shows people. And I like the love he shows me. Mm. So while you're most familiar with myself or Felicia reading an affirmation <laughs> I'm going to let your favorite therapist bring us into this affirmation segment let's Come get on. it so this is my favorite this what, is my favorite what page is it on this is page 30 okay all right yep and it says I choose to make peace with what today has come to teach me Ooh. Mm. on my Instagram actually I uh I do a different affirmation every month and I did one of you all's affirmations, I think for 
October. October. Mm-hmm. And when I read it, I was like, man, this applies to my life in so many ways because I didn't believe in affirmations last year. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that they were just words. Words that make you feel better about yourself because you have a deficit somewhere in your character, somewhere in your behavioral timeline. You have a deficit somewhere that you're trying to fill with words. Mm. And then I started doing these affirmations, not for me, but just for the general public because they work for other people. I'm a therapist. Everything I tell people doesn't necessarily work for me, but it works for you. And that's great. And it wasn't until I started finding meaningful affirmations to me and while trying to do content, I'm like, man. I'm having problems and I'm leaning on these affirmations to propel me forward. I'm like, ah, okay, I get it now. And when I listen (laughs) and I read you all's affirmations, it feels like it's from a legitimate place. It's not some nebulous word soup with people just saying things that make you feel better and pacify you. Word soup. Yeah, it's a lot of word soup out there. I know exactly what you're talking Mm -hmm. about. I never knew it. I kept passing on the dish. Right, <laughs> but I, I didn't know what they were serving. It just wasn't appetizing. Mm. No, no salt, no salt, no salt, wow. no garlic, no onion powder. It's just bland. It tastes like water. No uh. seasoning, baby. Oh. I don't like it. What a nightmare. Okay, I when, am incredibly moved um, by that compliment. I I never would have thought my affirmation would be compared to some word soup. I mean, I didn't know <laughs> my soup was seasoned so well. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's very rich. I mean, that's why people tune into you. My wife and I were just talking the other day. By the way, you all parent, the way you all talk to each other. It may be common for you, but people don't see that. Y'all make tremendous space for one another, especially me counseling couples. I see all the time this adversarial relationship. You just said something really important. You said, I'm surrendering. That's so counterintuitive to what we learn manhood is. Yep. Completely yep. counterintuitive. Yep. So for you who's like the the archetype of strong black man to say hey i'm surrendering and to be strong but still very soft at the same time Mm. man those competing principles when you have them in one person and then when you have these competing principles existing in one couple Mm. oh that's so special man you don't get that all the time kariga's saying deep breath (laughs) deep breath that's special man i I hope y'all really realize that no today i am able to hear you and listen Um, I've experienced so many different emotions in the range of guests we've had a chance to um, invite on our podcast Mm -hmm. while in D.C., Mm -hmm. right, while in the nation's capital, uh, here from the Kennedy Center. And what Kier just did for me amidst the production and the things that I have to hold and my correspondence with uh, the team here at The Reach and all Mm -hmm. those other things, Mm -hmm. he brought me present. Mm. and brought me present let me say this very clearly out loud to a space that gives me uh, room to celebrate how I've grown uh, and grace for anybody else's growth for sure but you also just spoke to something that I verbalized this morning about my pursuit and and what I the vision that I have for creating or co-creating a world that I want our children to inherit. Mm. See, the reason why I create the art I do isn't because I I truly enjoy it. Let's Mm -hmm. just name that. I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But my why is rooted in not just another song, not just another book, not just another episode, but what words can cut through the noise Mm. to speak to the deeper uh, conscious, the deeper purpose within our children who are going to inherit this world for us. And the world that we are creating in and working in, and you are an amazing uh, presence. I want 
content creator is the language that the domain ascribed to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I choose to acknowledge your presence. You're an amazing presence. Thank you, bro. And you so skillfully spoke into me from the very thing that was like heaviest on me this morning. <laughs> right. And I want to just name that. I appreciate that. I value that. And I'm grateful. The reason why I surrender uh, has everything to do with what I thought strong was <laughs> and what I realized was the a limitation on my ability. <laughs> like strength would not be the the variable to make the change that I needed. What I needed was sustainability. Ain't that something. And mm. I learned sustainability by surrendering when I need to. It's the same when you were when we're lifting. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't ego lift. That is the number one way to get injured. Absolutely. You got to know when to rack it. You got to know when to get help. You got to know when to correct your posture in the lift so you can get stronger. So if that means go a little lighter to get stronger in the long run, then do so. That's a great analogy. When I get near you, bro, I can re-rack them. Mm-hmm. I can focus on my posture and my mechanics. I can I can say, hey, how does this look? And not from a self-conscious way, but because I trust the way that you are examining sustainability. Mm. Um, surrendering around um, strong-hearted men has been something I learned by my birth order, but also by my circumstances. There were things that no matter how much weight I could lift, I wasn't strong enough to carry. Mm-hmm. And the grief around my firstborn Kamayu was one of those things that my shoulders, nor my chest, nor my quads, nor my Cab, nothing could carry that, right? Mm-hmm. No matter no matter what muscle group I was training, it couldn't carry that. Yeah. You were one of the men who came to spot me. Hmm. That's crazy. I never saw it that way. With hmm. with not advice, just deep listening, encouragement, and guidance. Mm. So on this show today, I get to do something that I don't feel like I get to do often. And that is just sit in the presence of another man I admire, a black man, a father, uh, our favorite therapist. <laughs> now, you see him online. And one of my favorite things about... uh Kier, I, I didn't go talking like I wasn't withholding that Kier was a, like a good friend of mine or somebody I can talk to. We had a few conversations online. Um, I reshare his content that speaks to me and the lived experiences of brothers that I come from. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite things I get to experience is when the brothers who come from where I come from find Kier's work on their own mm-hmm. and it makes them ping me. <laughs> to engage in further questions or examining their feelings. Wow. That makes me feel so good because I I never believed in this idea of like um, the token. Mm-hmm. Like I, I knew there are more of us. Yes. These are the brothers that I call. Yes. But when you, when you're coming from a, an environment or circumstances where nobody is uh, modeling that capacity for you, bro, I ain't got time for that. 
I don't have time for you. I barely have enough time or capacity to attend to my responsibilities. Hmm. So empathy, understanding, and deep listening is not something I can offer you. Hmm. So when you come from a circumstance where a lot of men have that type of time, man, Kier, you're like a, there's no analogy. <laughs> I'm, I'm just really grateful to yeah. spend this time, man. That's and beautiful, man. I think last time we were together, I told you that you are the dude in real life. And I know we just exchanging compliments back and forth right now. <laughs> Uh, but you're the dude in real life I think I am in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard this before. <laughs> yeah, I think I said it at the Black Love. Uh, uh, like, you the dude in real life that I am in my head. You just, you you have this ability to really deep, do a deep dive into the way that you feel. You compartmentalize in, the, in this really specific way. I don't think my trauma will yet allow me to do, you know. It's going to take me a while to get there. But I learned something, you know, that... It's the difference what it actually takes to be a whole healthy man and what larger society believes it takes to be a whole healthy man are two completely different things. It's it's very internal. It's it's a lot of people modeling the mm. things that you would like to see in yourself. You mm. what they, you can't be what you can't see. We yeah. hear it all the time. But you need permission sometimes. I know that sounds crazy. You as a man, you as a person, but you need permission sometimes to access parts of yourself that maybe the environment you grew up in said you shouldn't be. Mm. Mm. I grew up in the projects of DC. It wasn't no deep empathy. What's that? If for sure wasn't what, what what that mean? You said <laughs> you said you can't display there are some places that your trauma has not yet revealed for you to mm-hmm. be. And you just share with us, you know, um, born and raised in Southeast D.C. Uh, for anybody who has listened to uh, my work, whether it be the podcast or the music, you know what the South Side means to me. Mm-hmm. You know what Southeast D.C. means to me. It is where I received my first grief mentors care. Mm. My students were my first grief mentors. Oh, those are great mentors to have because they have doctoral degrees in grief. Mm-hmm. Grief, it's its so weird because I worked in those schools as well and I lived in those communities and I didn't realize it until I moved out of those communities and started working in them because I had dual perspective at that point. Yeah. How much grief is attached to those young people's identity. They yeah. don't see it as grief. Yeah. They even process it differently. You and I were just talking about that. Mm-hmm. They process grief so differently. They'll wear RIP to their friend on a shirt or go to a go-go yeah. show and memorialization. And then some of the young men are never validated or seen in real life, but they know they'll be memorialized forever in death. Or if they go to jail and come back now, you're celebrated for some reason when you never were before. It's just, it's a lot of layers, man. Mm. That's why being here is so special to me. I, I know people love to get the good mental health content and get the aha moments. But the journey I traveled from where I was to where I am. Come on. My God. Come on. My God. And it's, I, I don't, I can't replicate it. I can't tell you what I did. I can't, there's no secret sauce. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to mm-hmm. be the same two journeys for any two people but um, just being in y'all space and seeing how reflective you all are on life and life's journeys and the small lessons I don't know if there are small moments for you all I don't know if they exist I feel like y'all savor the flavor of everything that happens good bad and in between but uh, you know it it, it becomes easy to get that hard out of shell and just keep it rolling man and never really dig into that or acknowledge it I legit had my my jaw was dropped. Mm-hmm. My jaw was dropped, Kier, when, as y'all could tell, like this, I enjoy this brother. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy learning from him. Um, I'd be I having was, to rush you off the phone, bro, I, because I'd be like, yo, we're going to talk for two hours. Like, you got two hours? <laughs> and, and we've done it before, too. We've done I'm it. sure. We've done it before. Do you have two hours? That's what it's going to cost. When you said uh, these brothers, they're, the, way they they exp- have- the way they express their grief in so many different ways, and you talked about their, um, you know, the RIP t-shirts mm-hmm. right or um in the winter time it's the r.i.p helis or the spider coats right mm-hmm. and um the tattoos and the and the constant um ideation on the desk writing the same thing over on the desk mm. the same r.i.p on the desk mm. and more than what i've seen early in my career more than that child being met with the love and empathy and the therapeutic services they need is wipe off that desk, right? That mm-hmm. desk better be clean before you leave this classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found myself in this place uh, in DC schools feeling like I was holding the walls up uh, from collapsing on some of the most vulnerable, some of the most least of us and left out and looked over students. Um, while I myself am only one person, I can't hold the walls forever, mm. right? It's exhausting. And, Something happened in these walls. Uh, many of you all may not know this, but uh, Kier and I served in the same building one <laughs> year apart from each other. Yeah. Wow. Just one year yeah, apart. So uh, during my last uh, tenure here in D.C., I was at Options Public Charter. Mm-hmm. Um, that became Kingsman Academy Public Charter School. Wow. So this was the the restructuring. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. That took me to California right it was literally that year that took us to California does your audience know what that school is who that school is for and what that school feels like on the inside man do tell Come them more on, tell them. Yo, do tell them more man 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 so the school is it's called an opportunity academy that's the branding that DC public schools put on it and after I left Kingsman by the way I went to work in special education for the entire school district wow like crazy man but I um yeah so it's a school that one for overage and undercredited students. So mm-hmm. you'll have like a 21 year old student that has the credits of a ninth grader mm-hmm. and they put them on the accelerated track so that he can catch up, graduate and meet some type of economic success for students that have like profound behavioral challenges, emotional challenges and things of the sort. But they keep all of those students in one building. They're from rival neighborhoods sometimes. And you, that was the first time in my life I ever felt hopeless and it's not because of the school and it's not because of the kids. It's just because you spend all day pouring into this vessel that just does not get poured into and you build them up and then they leave the building to the neighborhood and to their mama and to their friends and to their little cousins and whatnot. And they just get broken right back down Mm. to what they were before they walked into the building and it's like what's that movie with adam sandler and drew barrymore where every day she wake up and it's like she 50, has no memory of the day before 51st dates yeah, yeah. it, it, feel, it felt it felt like, like that and i began to feel hopeless mm. because it's like man how am i going to teach you all these things about loving yourself and you go to love on your mama and she just does not have the capacity not because she's a bad person right and not that she doesn't love him oh no 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 not at all it's the capacity i it's want the capacity yeah i want that in there too that that that, the way i feel (laughs) no because i've been i've been begging of someone to love and serve uh in the ways that i know our students most deserve but you got to see beyond um the circumstance and the limitations that presented and see the person right and and also i love when he said and it's not that his mom is a bad person 
it's her capacity mm-hmm. right it's the circumstances she has called to have to mother in mm-hmm. that makes it incredibly difficult you know Kier one of the reasons why I created Soul Affirmations I, I created this toolkit in Oakland after all my work in DC okay and it was for that very same reason when I was watching young people uh, be poured into I dedicated my life's work even before children I dedicated my life's work to this um, practice of pouring in even so much that most of my students knew Miss Felicia. That's what they called her, right? Because <laughs> Miss Fee, <laughs> my, my family poured into them. Mm-hmm. It, it, it couldn't be me alone, right? Mm-hmm. So Felicia poured in as well. But when I got to Oakland, I was able to, I went down to the elementary level for the first time in years. Oh, you get to see where it starts. And DC sent me off with this love note. They said, we sorry to see you go. But I'm so glad they're getting you sooner. That's when I wish I would have met you. Mm-hmm. Right? So go take care of the babies. Somebody told me that was the most gangster thing you can do, right? Is to, is to take care of the babies. So I went and took the assignment. But I found that same pattern happening even that early. So I wrote soul affirmations so that the parents could have the same language to affirm their oh, wow. young people. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know was how much the parents needed the affirmations for themselves. Oh, my brother. <laughs> We'd have kids in the school who would just be, I mean, terribly violent and disrespectful. And you're like, you know what? We call them mom. And mom come up to the school. And within 15 words, you're like, ah, I see. And then somehow we do a PTA night and grandma come through. And you're like, ah, Grandma's still operating from a scarcity mindset economically, spiritually, behaviorally, mentally. She has zero bandwidth. And you can just see the generation poverty, generational poverty, not from a monetary standpoint, but just from an emotional standpoint. They don't have it. Hopelessness. Complete and utter hopelessness. Hopelessness. Hopelessness by design. Right. So oh, this, this this isn't just regular hopelessness by circumstance like, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. This is circumstantial hopelessness, densely populated in one area of under resourced communities. And I, I talked about writing, writing a poem on the corner of hope and hopelessness. Right. And hope and hopelessness. The corner that I was talking about mm. was um, I think like 51st and East Capitol because I was at Maya Angelou Public Trial. Oh, I, I, know, I know exactly where that you is. You did what I'm saying. Yep. And it was. And that corner right there was so many because I had a young people coming up that hill who never went to the school, mm-hmm. right? When it was time for beef, and I had young people coming out of the school because who they who they described was to be their uh, opponents mm-hmm. knew where they were going to school because everybody had to travel across the city. So when you talked about Kingsman Academy options, my first time experiencing that was at a place called the Transition Academy at Shad. Okay. Oh yeah. This had to be DC's most notoriously. Um, uh, uh, it, it violated the the human rights of the students the IDEA, of IDEA, right? Mm-hmm. It was just it was a it was a sore because if you presented it as having an emotional disturbance or actually had one on your IEP, because in many cases we find out they didn't even have one on their IEP, right? It was their behavior was so unfavorable in a in a previous placement mm-hmm. they sent them to Shad, mm-hmm. right? And everybody was there, like you said, coming from rival neighborhoods, right? Um. And it was it was the exact same circumstances I experienced at Options, and I never forget. Uh, she's an adult, so when I got to Options, it was the year after my brother was shot and killed in in Cali, and 
one of my favorite people in the world in D.C. and students. I love TK. But it was like my first it was like in my first week. And she was like, yo, who he talking to? Don't you know we send shots at you? She said it's to her dean. Right. And I was thinking to myself, like, where am I on my feelings? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I just sat down right next to her. And I said, it's too late. It's too late. You should have sent the shots already because mm-hmm. I'm not going. Right. And I was ve- and, and somebody there knew me from my previous school and was like, hey, chill with that. Bailey ain't the one for that right now. Right. And she's like, I don't care about his brother. Oh, yeah. Right? They go raise up. That's what she right said. Escalate. Yep. So I just sat down real quiet and got real close. And I was reminded of like, yo, those threats. Now you got to make it to like follow through on those threats. Needless to say, that became one of my favorite people in the entire building. That's how it goes. We spent time together outside the building. It always um, go like that, don't it? That's how um, it go. Uh, she called me uh, when it was time to get interview clothes. I'm sliding because, look, you stepping on up. Hmm. But what I'm saying is hmm. that scenario inside that building, uh, she showed me her worst. I showed her where I was at. It was the human moment. It wasn't my dean. It wasn't my authority. It wasn't my position. Authority meant nothing to her. Nothing. It was the humanity that we both surrendered in that moment. And maybe not in that moment, but the subsequent moments. You know what? I bet. I'd be willing to bet dollars to donuts. You are the first black man who ever approached her and did not only didn't want something from her, but didn't want something sexual from her. Mm-hmm. I realized that with a lot of the girls in the school, they mm-hmm. they didn't really have much interaction with men that didn't sexualize them or didn't like, hey, Mr. Gaines, why you doing all this? I'm like, because I want you to be great. What you want? Nothing. Absolutely nothing but for you to be great. Can't understand it. There's no mm-hmm. reference point. That's never happened before. That's never happened before. If every time I fed you a saltine cracker, it tastes like onions all your whole life. Yeah. And then I feed you, a, I offer you a regular saltine when you're 15, you can be like, nah, that tastes like onions. I'm like, nah, it don't. It's mm-hmm. completely different. Like, nah, I, I know what that is. I'm used to this thing. This is how I define it. That's where my cognitive scaffolding is at. You can't, it's hard to convince somebody that reality isn't real. Walk in a church and convince a whole bunch of Christians that, that Jesus ain't real. That it's a made-up story. You can't. Good luck. You can't. You Good can't luck. convince people that their convictions that are a part of their identity, a part of their emotional history, and a part of who they are, you can't convince them that it's not real, even when it's not. It is their reality. It is It is their lived experience. It makes it real in this way. Yep. Um, Got to honor that, too. One of my favorite things, Fee, I love the, uh, I love the Sorry, yes I hands. Think the, yeah, I got a yes hand for that because it, it's that as well. You have to honor that too. It's not you can't erase the desk as you as you yeah. um, gave the analogy of of what grief looks like and how it shows up. Yeah, I'm I'm just listening to you all. Obviously, um, I, I'm I'm affirming what you're saying, and and it for me not having worked in the schools, you know, directly. I've I've had like indirect experiences with Kareem and how he's worked with his students. I am just so pleased in the ways that you all have chosen to practice love with your students. And I mean like 
not in the actual sense of what it is that you're doing, but the reframe that you both are taking in your approach and how you see your students is so incredibly important. And not just your students, but people, black people for sure. in, in, in general. And it's what we need. And it's, it's what we need to learn how to do and how to practice um, for others. I'm, I'm just listening. Y'all. I'm, no, I'm with it. I, I want, I want more. I agree. I agree. You know what the caveat is though, is the, um, uh, come on education don't fail me now what is it called when a person is it's not a projection cross oh man but there's there's something that happens in those spaces where the things that have happened in your life your lived experience starts to take over and that student is more than a student they represent something very personal to you um and it's not a healthy relationship because in those schools there are a lot of people who are willing to help and willing to love on students you find out that people that didn't have great relationships with their children Mm -hmm. people who didn't have great relationships with their parents transference that's what it's called transference there's a lot of transference that goes on within those buildings too and it comes from a good place but that student is not your son he's not your daughter He's a student. He's not your child. You have to love on your students, have to love on those young people, but keep that in mind. Don't get lost in the cognitive shuffle of what's really going on here. One of my favorite things that I've seen happen in that space is when the adult is no longer able to process that they were just an adult and they thought they've loved themselves into position that wouldn't allow the child to show their worst. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Right? I've seen it so many when times. You, when you perceive that because you did this for some person, they can't show you their worst. Well, what good is the love you gave them if they can't show you their worst? And when they show mm. you their worst, you disown them, but not only disown them, you are personally offended. So now you are maliciously wounding the child for all the love you've shown them. And that child is looking at you like, see, I knew it was fake. Because the minute I showed you my real pain and didn't pretend to what, makes your day easy what makes your classroom look good go along to get right? along go along mm-hmm. to, so once i once i showed you where i was really at today you couldn't see me you couldn't love me there i became everything that everybody else said i was so what makes it worth trusting the next person who says they love me because every time i show somebody my worst not my pretend self but how i really feel about myself or how i really feel about the world around me you thereby deem that all the love you gave me was for not, right? And it's not for not. You just wanted a lot of educators, educators experience the, they want to experience that feeling. And, and why wouldn't you? You don't want to be hopeless too. Mm-hmm. You want to experience a feeling of changing a life, right? You want, you just want that feeling, but it don't go like that. No. And that's one of the reasons that I quit. I quit for a number of reasons. Anyone who works in edu- education knows that it's almost impossible. You need amazing leadership mm-hmm. in order for education to work. Mm-hmm. That That's just across the board. My <laughs> wife was in TFA. The way Kariga looking at you right <laughs> that now. That was video. <laughs> Slim. Look. The way his eyebrows is up. <laughs> yeah, like you said it. You yeah, said but, it. but we know this. Like we even see it on a collegiate level. And it's very hard to be a leader in education. So I don't want to talk down on anyone. Yeah. But one of the reasons that I left is because I realized that I was trying to spit into the Grand Canyon and fill it up. And that just that's not a realistic goal. And sometimes working with the students, it feels like you're planting seeds into the soil, into a pot. And I mean, you you just you nurtured this seed inside of a wet napkin for you got weeks. That don't, right. And you got Describe it right. It. And mm-hmm. you I mean, you're doing you using delicate hands. Cover it for humidity. All of that. You know what I'm saying? You're checking the pH of the water. Oh, the wind is blowing north by oh. northwest today. You know what I'm saying? You're doing the whole nine. And then you put that beautiful little seed into a dark room and you shut the door. and You have no idea what happens to it after. 
Did it bloom? Did it die? You don't know. That's just not the way I'm built. And I'm thankful because in that building, I met so many. Shout out to Dr. Karima Ware. I met so many amazing black female therapists that had me saying, damn, that's what a therapist is like. One therapist, Dr. Reed, used to wear Jordans, a different pair of Jordans every day. I'm like, therapists can wear Jordans? I thought all of y'all were like stuffy white men. And then I learned, I saw the way they were changing these kids' lives. And then I did a little research, found a couple schools. Oh, shit, this school right here. I can go and get my my master's for free and become a therapist it was a wrap so i think that my i mean i'm gonna use your word my assignment <laughs> yeah baby Kariga, was that you okay. <laughs> this is hilarious I, I'm, I used i took that as my assignment i i say this all the time when it comes to therapy people think that i got a leaky pipe when i come to therapy my goal is to get this leaky pipe fixed maybe but if you ever watch hgtv you know that sometimes that leaky pipe, you got to bust down some concrete, you got to yeah. take away some walls, you got to get a yeah. permit, you got to rearrange some stuff. Yeah. My job as a therapist is not always to fix the pipe. Maybe that's too much work for us to do in one sitting. My job sometimes to let you know you got to bust that first wall down. Mm. And I think my job in that space was to figure this out. That's how I can be most effective. So I went from being effective with kids in the classroom or one-on-one to having a social media platform with tens of millions of people every month pour in yep. to get an idea of what I'm yep. saying. This is the same shit I yep. was kicking to the kids. It's yep. no different. And listen to me. Yes, this is exactly true. And this part must have been part of the reason why I identified with you online, mm-hmm. right? Because I said, oh, there's a legitimacy here that isn't just... Um, inviting people to feel good right it's coming from a real investigative process and i love um, that term by the way he used that talked about you dr fee investigative investigative yeah he (laughs) said that's your writing style you're very investigative and patient i'll be trying to understand the process it's like you're saying we have lived experiences right and and they all inform um our our beliefs our Mm -hmm. our effective memories like all all of these different pieces of who we are and where we come from um, shape that cognitive part. You know this, and it influences our values. It shapes our expectations for Absolutely. ourselves, and then it that in turn tells us like what we gonna do if we Absolutely. gonna persist at something. Are we gonna engage in? It? Am I gonna even really do what I say that I want to do? Can I do it? All of those things matter. So, Kareem, hmm. yes, he will always <laughs> name that for me. No, but, be, but it's it requires that. Yes. The thing is, we sometimes think that life is moving at a pace that doesn't afford us the opportunity mm. to slow down and investigate. But the issue is when we don't do that, it's impacting our long-term sustainability. And I'm so happy that you said that because I was getting ready to praise both of you for being educators for as long as you were. And then being able to take an assessment of self and say, okay, I cannot do this anymore. Yep. Yep. That I, is incredibly Profound. It is, it's hard to do. Too. It's very hard to do, especially when you leave it at the top. You leave it at the top performing of the game. Mm-hmm. Like what I can tell already is, Kier was he's a top. Oh he, yeah, he's, y'all he's are showing up, right? Oh yeah, we got more yeah. kids in the college that first year than than maybe the past three years combined, and then all the kids were out of college the very next year because they didn't have the family support to stay in. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing? And that's why it takes more than getting them in, Man. right? It's more than like this idea of okay, now you're gone. When we talked about hopelessness, Mm -hmm. I recognize hopelessness to be the greatest threat to love, not hate. Huh. Mm. Right? Because you don't have the ability, you don't have the the idea that it's even possible. And 
the human spirit is determined to rise. But if you believe there's nothing to rise to and rise for, it is impacting your very perception of life chances in the world around you. And this hopelessness is so um, pervasive. I learned a term from Felicia in her academic studies. And the term that I learned from Felicia was placed at risk youth. Yes. Right. Felicia taught me placed at risk youth. And I love placed at risk youth because it begged of the question, who put them at risk? Right. Uh -huh. The risk is not You're not just born at risk. You are already born. And because I actually know how complicated it is for birth to happen. <laughs> it's a miracle in and of itself. Every time. So you came here and you came this far for somebody to say that you are at risk youth. No, you're placed at risk. And the real indictment on this nation is who's designing the risk, mm. right? Who's designing the densely under-resourced communities? Who is designing uh, the lead that we are exposed to? Who is designing the lack of agency and hope that we are forced to combat every day? And then that's who's walking into our classrooms, right? So he already done lost half his sandbox uh, peers, before he's out of high school, mm -hmm. right? The grief is something he knows so well. I remember when I was working on East Capitol at Shad, I would do my tour of duty in the front of the school and look down and you can see the Capitol and the horizon. And then like, as the hill kind of increases cause you're walking up, you see like bellows of smoke in the air. Mm. And I remember there were staff who immediately looked at those bellows of smoke as reasons to like, do their job and somebody ain't coming in today because they smell like smoke and you can't be smoking. And I always want to know, like, tell me more about the journey to school, because when I would drive to school, I would see these memorial sites of these teddy bears and these liquor bottles and these shirts on the flagpoles. And then I would look at the birth date and the death date and realize that these were babies, straight children, man, children, mm -hmm. the same age as my students. Mm -hmm. So who is that person to you? And you have to walk by that memorial every day, likely of an unsolved murder. Or if the police have not reported, you have suspicion that somebody else who you know might have done it. And now you all have to like go on about it on the same metro train using the same fare card. Right. Trying to. All so when I became less intrigued uh, about what their, I guess, consequence could be and more about what would our intervention be. Right. I say a, a, an education where kids are punished for their learning and not supported in their learning, whether we call them mistakes, there's no education at all. And that smoke was because he just walked by three memorial sites just trying to make it, not to mention the responsibilities he or she were having before they even got out the house mm -hmm. for the younger siblings. Mm -hmm. mm. And I, in turn, I would definitely connect them to... I mean, there was some smoke that just wasn't going to require uh, the therapist for the day. We know what he's doing. We know how it's going. But if there was ever a time where there was like inconsolable, right? They didn't really have these, uh, the, the, the space and the time, the process, I would check in with them, right? And build this relationship of trust. Um, I even began to offer hand wipes at the door or before the door so they can remove the smoke so that another authority figure wouldn't try to remove them from the building. Because they came. They mm. were coming. Yeah. They, they were on their way to the door. Been there too, bro. Reminds me of that poem, I Ain't Got No Pencil. 
Mm. It's like uh, I had to get my sister dressed this morning. Had to walk to school because my mom had to work early. Didn't eat breakfast, but my teacher yelled at me because I ain't got no pencil. You know, I don't have on clean socks. I don't have on clean underwear. I had to fight some people on the way to school today, but my teacher yelled at me because I ain't got no pencil. And um, I think that that poem just highlights how difficult the circumstances are for a lot of these students. Um, which is difficult when you rub it up against the expectation that you have to be in a place and perform at a certain level. When you compare that with the very real reality that you're here because you couldn't, you couldn't cut it in another place for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. be it you're doing otherwise. It's just a lot of contextual factors and a lot of barriers to success. And it's hard to figure out, man, it's like a snake eating itself. Like, God damn, what's the head and what's the tail? Where do we start? I literally asked Kariga, like how, how, Y'all are talking about this hopelessness and this is something that they're seeing that they're interfacing with every single day. Mm-hmm. If the way that we understand cognition, how does one choose love? How does one choose to practice love, right? What does that look like? Like I don't know. That's a really good question. And so it's like part of me I feel like okay, maybe some of the answer lies in us engaging in the practice right as regularly as we can Mm -hmm. and so that someone can see that because that i mean one that's how you get exposed i I think maybe we even take it down to like elementary like baby level and how babies learn is it that and i'm sorry like i pose this question towards the end of our conversation but like this is the investigative process that i really want to understand and in terms of choice behaviors Mm -hmm. you dipping into attachment theory now Mm. I, i think it all starts with attachment theory I really do. When you grow up in a, a survivalist mind state where a lot of people don't believe the hugs and kisses are currency. Mm. Uh, wow. you know, I remember being in grad school and one of my professors, she was, she's a geneticist. She's a very well-renowned geneticist. And she said one of the best things that connects all the synapses in the brain and all that stuff, the best thing you can do to make your child intelligent isn't listening to jazz music or eating whole foods. I mean, those things help tremendously. It's giving hugs and kisses. And developing a strong attachment. That's the best and thing you can do for a child. It, and it takes it right back to basic human needs. Absolutely. We need to feel connected. Yep. We need to feel like we belong. We need to feel like we relate. Like Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, those needs will show up at every point of our uh, growth and development. They say once a man, twice a child. Hmm. Right? And it's this idea that you will grow and come to have some of the very same needs that you needed in the beginning because of how life paced itself. And I recognize that not everybody is able to experience a hug because families look so different than they used to Mm. Uh, because some folks have experienced the most stable people in their life no longer being there. Man. Um, By way of pandemic, by way of poverty, by way of life circumstances. Uh, Kier, I understand this about you coming up in Southeast and the the losses you've experienced from your peers, people who you thought should be here. Um, but I'm also curious, how has grief or your experience with grief informed your practice hmm. of love, mm. not your therapeutic practice, 
we would do this at the tail end, wouldn't we? I know. <laughs> I don't think my losing my peers has been the biggest linchpin of, you know, my conceptualization of grief, if you will. It's been my mom. I lost my mom in 2004. Just, man, maybe a couple of weeks after I graduated from high school. And I had to become an adult very fast, which I already was. But, I mean, like, every completely independent man and one thing about abandonment issues is they create a sense of hyper independence within you like we know that it's it's correlated it's causational we know this already Mm -hmm. so you you kind of walk through life believing you don't need people and then i you know i live my life really well not really needing people i was good by myself living in my apartment having my part-time and full-time jobs i was doing my thing and then i met this girl that i really really like and then it turned into somebody that i really really loved and we had a great time together and then one day she tells me she's pregnant and we end up completely turning my life on its head and i moved in with her and we had this baby and we raised this baby and i ended up marrying her and now we have a second child and the and she's the greatest thing that ever happened to me but allowing myself to be loved mm-hmm. and allowing myself to love in that capacity is very very hard because once you know that you can lose love like that you're smart enough to realize that you're not an exception it can happen to you it's so weird. You can tell people who haven't been through like that extreme grief because they're like, oh, you know, it's a bad thing. It could happen. I'm like, nah, yo, that should be happening. It's real. So loving someone, knowing that I can lose them. Oh, my God. My wife and two kids now. Rolling solo was better. I had a, If I die, that's it. Lights go off. There's no more nothing. That's it. Hmm. My story is over. It's fine. But when you lose people. You carry that with you through a lifetime. You got to ask yourself, do I have the capacity to do that again? And you risk that by loving. So for me, it's just it's it's been a process, man. Mm-hmm. It's been a process allowing my life, my wife to love on me like that. Being with my children and enjoying the time instead of saying, man, if something happened to them, I wouldn't know what I would do. It becomes obsessive. Yeah. You have to remind yourself. You have to. Oh, my gosh. Um, I want to do two things really, 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 really quickly. Oh, you just had a good idea. I can tell by the look on your face. Go ahead. Absolutely. <laughs> One, I want to thank Noemi for loving you. That has evolved you into this version of yourself where the flower begins to open. Mm. Wouldn't be like, here without it, man. No. Your flower, you, you would be a well-informed, tightly coiled rose, never opening to smell the air, to get the dew on your petals, to get that, that reflection, that glare. I'm so glad she has opened you and 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 allowed your your rose to blossom. But now I also understand I took learning from you before Kamali started even eating grapes. <laughs> I took from you that you had to cut those grapes yes, in half because it was a real fear. Yeah. Now we know it's a choking hazard, but it was not just a choking hazard. I believe that that fear was informed by this idea that I can lose you. So let me make sure that I am doing what I can to keep you well and keep you safe and keep you here. Absolutely. Your great practice deeply informed my great practice, right? Felicia cuts hers in half like you. Kamali gets half the grape after I bite it, right? But I take, I take, I take, the, uh, I take the thread off, as yeah. I call it. But um, what I desire most uh, is to say on this record, that will one day turn into an archive 
uh, in case people consume media in different forms, then this is created. So way down the line, for the immediate listeners, but for the ones in the future, in this room sat three physical persons and even more in spirit mm. who bared witness to a type of love that we hear doesn't exist about often. I deeply love my wife and I enjoy building and learning with her. And I so deeply enjoy Kier and love Kier and the family that makes him who he is. The ones who we can see and the ones we know and the ones who we have not seen, the ones we won't get to know in this physical way. But I admire it all. Mm. It's designed your essential questions. It's informed the way you love. It's informed the way you stand in the gap. Uh, and I also want to thank you for being a brother to me um, in the wee hours uh, of the night and or the morning because we, we we share a relationship on different coasts <laughs> yeah for sure but we've had all these conversations and never once tried to give me a therapeutic perspective to make me feel better but he instead he uses therapeutic lens to become a deeply informed listener mm. and to just like uh map out the coordinates of what i said to kind of help me see where i was i love you Oh, I you value sure you. Uh, I deeply uh, admire how you've loved on your city, how yeah. you've loved on the young people mm -hmm. and the gaps you've stood in mm -hmm. uh, while the world would have just let them go on by. We could not save them all. Our true responsibility is only to save ourselves. There you go. Thank you for choosing you. Man, that it's hard to do, but that actually makes me a little emotional, man. Thank you so much. I, I love you too, and I love you both. You all, um, you're not just talking. You're actually the living embodiment of everything that you put out into the world. That's mm. so rare, so rare. You just don't get it. Um, wow. So I appreciate you all just lending me this space to share. I'll never forget this. It's such a beautiful moment. I wish y'all could see it. We had Kennedy Center, the sun is setting over it's, the river. Come on, yeah. shit is gorgeous, it is, man. Nice. It's gorgeous. The Potomac sunset. Yeah. It's, it's, so, day. it's so it's beautiful. beautiful. And, and y'all know me and Kira got some real, nah, real, Nah, y'all looking real good. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Uh, the melanin, the melanin is glistening over here. Y'all can already imagine. Shout out Clinical, man. Wife put me on the skincare routine. It's expensive, but it's worth it. Hey, hey. I love it. Drop me a line. Um, but I want to say um, to the listeners, mm -hmm. and I hope somewhere in the listening audience, uh, one of one or more of the students we've both shared mm. in our service and our growth and development, hope they hear this mm. and remember how deeply loved they are. Absolutely. And that your light has inspired us. Absolutely. I'd like to thank our executive producers, Cody and Tommy Oliver. Mm -hmm. Our Shout out to Cody and Tommy, man. straight up. <laughs> I love them, man. Our yes. producer, Crystal Hill. Yes. Mm -hmm. From our family to yours, mm -hmm. from the Gaineses to yours. Yeah. This is what love and practice looks like. This is the pursuit of liberation for our people, uh, using love as the currency. Mm -hmm. So until we cross paths again, may we all love more abundantly. Peace. Peace. Y'all are so good at this. <laughs>